Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Isaiah 55 verses 2. If you're there, you say, Amen. People behind, please have a seat. I see many people standing behind. Please get yourselves a chair and sit. Thank you very much. I see a lot of some movement behind. Just get your seat somewhere. Just get yourself some seats. Isaiah 55 verses 2. The Bible says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Praise God. And your labor for that which satisfies not. The Bible says, hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Somebody shout hallelujah. Isaiah asks a very fundamental question. Albeit it was written in his day. But I believe that the word tonight. Is so in agreement with everything I want to share tonight. And for some of you who don't see. Fully this scripture. It's a question. He's asking. God is asking men. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you um, put your labor for that which satisfieth not? Why, he says. Why, he says. Why? In other words, in the simplest terms, why are people investing too much time in that which is not bread? Somebody shout Hallelujah. And he says, why do people invest much time in labor which satisfies not? You do something, and that's wonderful. And it will give you physical bread, praise God. But it will not satisfy you fully. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. You will always be left wanting. You can eat all the food in this world, but you've got to be hungry tomorrow. And God is not saying don't eat food. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he's saying there's something above food that you're supposed to be investing your labor into. Praise God. He's not saying don't buy yourself a nice car or a nice shoe or build yourself a nice house or you know, go get yourself you know, have fun with how much you have. No. But he's saying there is higher things to spend on. Praise God somebody. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
Proverbs 23 and 23 says, Buy truth and sell it not. It says, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. He says, buy truth. Buy truth and sell it not. Pastors, we don't sell truth. Men of God, we don't sell truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. Micah chapter 3 and verses 11, I think, somewhere there. He speaks of an experience of people who divert off the faith and indulge in things that are not written down as patterns of ministry. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Give me the NIV of that if you will. This is for ministers. I shouldn't have shared it here, but it's important. He says, how leaders judge for a bribe? And they say, the priests teach for a price. And have prophets tell fortunes for money. And yet, they claim to lean upon the Lord. And say, it's not the Lord among us. No disaster will come upon us. If you are a believer in God, man of God, why do you preach for a price? One time I went preaching somewhere and a certain fellow asked me, what honorarium, how much honorarium can we give you? And I asked the man of God, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say demand honor or the Bible says give honor? The Bible doesn't tell us to demand honor. The Bible tells us to give honor. I told him there is no amount of money you can ever give me for what I'm preaching. You cannot pay me. You honor me as the Lord leads you. If you don't, the Lord does honor his servant. The Bible doesn't say that I reap where I sow. The Bible says I reap what I sow. Somebody shout hallelujah. I cannot limit God to thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. Me to tell you pay me this much, it means I have limited my value to that amount. I'm bigger than any man can ever pay me. The gospel is not supposed to be for price. Paul says in Corinthians that he had access. He had access. He, he, they had opportunity. He had opportunity with them. But rather he refused. And the Bible says, and I made the gospel of no charge. He says, I preached the gospel of no, with no charge. The Bible says that I should not lose my power in the gospel. Oh, but there are people who are anointed and they still ask for it. They would be more anointed. The Bible says, what is in my reward? That verily when I preach the gospel, that I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my power in the gospel. You start abusing what's upon you when you place a demand on men to honor you. Let them... let. Let them honor you as the Lord has led. If they don't honor you, you dust your feet. Another will honor you. You cannot lean on God and put a price on what you minister. Freely have we been given. And the Bible says, freely give ye. Somebody shout hallelujah. If I've offended you, 
blame Corinthians, Micah, and Proverbs 23. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because it's so sad that there's something happening to, to us as believers. I don't know what name it is, but we are treading the gospel. And, and, and some of the guys who do it are the ones against the prosperity ministers. <laughs> you, you preach prosperity. You, you know, God is not a prosperous God. He, he's not a God of prosperity. And then after that, the guy tells you, but you know what? My honorarium. And it's worse in some countries. If you don't give a portion, if you have not, inf if you have not placed at least half, the guy doesn't step on the pulpit. So sad. How poor. How poor they are. Praise God. How poor they are. How poor they are. May God help them. Somebody shout hallelujah. But back to what I was sharing. I had not planned to share that. So no offense. He's asking where do you spend? God tells you by truth. In other words. Take every opportunity in this life. To pay every price. For truth. Although God does not call you to sell it. But never ever, ever hesitate for anything concerning the gospel. The Lord knows my heart. I would spend anything for truth because I know what truth has done for me. He says, you know the truth and the truth makes you free. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I don't want to sell it. I cannot sell it. Because no amount of money can buy the heart that buys truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. No amount of substance can buy the heart that buys truth. Say amen. He says buy truth. So he's asking you, why do you spend money on that which is not bread? And why your labor for that which satisfieth not? He's asking, why? Because he sees many times people do that without even the knowledge of it. They don't even know that they're doing it. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says in John chapter 6 verse 31. Jesus said. He says our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written. And the Bible says and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them. Verily I say unto you. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody say my father giveth you the true bread. Yes. The Jews told him. Oh our fathers ate manna in the desert. This is how Judaism taught. And he said. He gave them. Bread from heaven. Through Moses. He said. That's why Jesus stands to them and tells them hey. That thing you call bread, as your father told you, it wasn't the real bread. This is Jesus now trying to wake up legal fellows. Somebody shout hallelujah. He said verily, verily. I told you in scripture, every time you see a verily, verily, it means it's ancient wisdom. Now imagine the guys were like, if our fathers ate manna in the desert, and God said he gave them bread to eat. 
And there's this guy telling us that the thing that fell from heaven was not the bread. No, no. Put yourself in, in the shoes of these guys. Put yourself in the shoes of these legal fellas. Put yourself in the shoes of the guys who only knew Moses and the law. And there's this fellow boldly telling them, uh-uh. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Uh-uh. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So it's like, you mean you're different from Moses? You mean Moses told us a lie? No. Jesus is trying to tell them what I, you and I now understand. He's saying what was given by Moses from heaven cannot be compared to what was given through the person of Jesus Christ. It cannot be compared. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says that the glory of the new covenant cannot be compared. In fact, the Bible, in some versions it says the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant would look outwardly dull on the New Testament and the new creation reality of grace. It cannot be compared. The thing that comes with Christ is way bigger than that which was given by Moses. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Jesus tells them, my father giveth you the true bread. For the bread of God, listen, is he, not it. The Bible says, for the bread of God is he, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. It is not bread if it giveth, does not give life. The law did not give life. The Bible says the letter killeth. Did it kill? The letter killeth. So the law was not a life giver. So it could not be bread. Because in the literal sense, the understanding of bread is that which sustains men with life. Food. Okay, think it from the physical understanding of bread. Why do you eat food every day? That you will leave, isn't it? That you will leave. That you will leave. That's the essence of food. That you will leave. That you will be alive. It's a sustenance of human life. It's the stuff that feeds men. You understand? Now, the law could not be food. Because the letter killeth. And God says the bread of God is he. It is not an eat. What fell was their understanding of bread. Not God's mind on bread. Can I say it again? What fell by Moses was men's understanding of bread. Not God's definition of bread. And this is Jesus now telling them that the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He says, I'm come that you might have life. And life to the fullest. Somebody shout hallelujah. And that you might have it more abundantly. So he says, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then he said, and, and then said there unto him, Lord, even more, give us this bread. And they don't get it. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, he said. He says, he that cometh to me, he says, shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
He shall never thirst. But you see, they had not yet understood these things. That is why earlier in Luke 24, no, Luke, Luke, Luke I think it's uh, Luke 14, 15. The Bible says, and when he, when one of them, sorry, and, and when one of them that sat at meat with him had these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. They, 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 they had not yet come to the full understanding of how the kingdom of God functions. Jesus Christ is the person that opens this door to all of us. Now, when the Bible says that if you eat of him, you'll never hunger or thirst, that's, that's, that's so hard for a man who eats bread and hungers. That's so hard to understand for a man who drinks water and thirsts again. This is the bread of the kingdom. Somebody said hallelujah. He's not the bread of Moses. No, it's the bread of the kingdom. He says, blessed is that man who will understand bread in the kingdom. Somebody shout hallelujah. It is when the person of God is revealed, the person of Jesus Christ is revealed in the breaking of this bread that men understand and know him fully. That's what Luke 24 verse 30 says. He says that it came to pass that as, as he sat admit with them the bible says he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave them and the bible says and their eyes were opened and they knew him it's at the sinning of the meat and the breaking of the bread that men know him and the moment they know him by the spirit the bible says he vanishes out of their presence because he's trying to tell them, the moment you know me by the flesh, there is no point in you, I mean, by the spirit, there is no point in me being visible to you. There are people in this world who think that because they've seen Jesus in the spirit, they're deeper. No, there are men who don't need to see him. Because they see him. The Bible says, seeing him who was invisible. He believed. Somebody shout hallelujah. I have had visitations of the person of Jesus Christ. Not visitation, encounters of the person of Jesus Christ several times. And those events come to change my life. And many of which are personal. But I don't claim to say that I'm better than you. Because you didn't have that, that encounter. No. That's a church that has not yet understood how God functions. The Bible says, having not seen him, you love him. Somebody shout hallelujah. See, there's maybe that time God needed me to see it that way to understand. But I not mean that that's the standard of the church, that everybody has to have a vision. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he says, whom having not seen you love, and in whom though now you see him not yet believing, he says, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It has not taken away the glory. No, they have not seen him, but they have a joy unspeakable and they are full of the glory of God. What I'm trying to say is we have to stop patronizing people. We have to stop giving an impression that you, has Jesus ever appeared to you? No, there are some who see him. There are some who don't. And then make them less ministers of the gospel. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. Our true judgment is aimed in our faith toward God. Because a man can see him and still not believe. The children of Israel saw water separated. They crossed the sea and then built molten images. Yet they saw God in action. Somebody shout hallelujah. Thomas walked with the man, but he doubted him. Yet he saw miracles, but he doubted. Yet he saw he was there. They were raising dead people. He was there. But he doubted God. So I tell people, don't think that the miraculous, right? Because a man has seen a miracle, therefore they will believe. No, men believe because of miracles, but it's not the only way men believe. And it's not the guarantee that a man will die believing in Jesus Christ. There are people who see him and they still walk away. Why? Because he's not a revelation. The experiences of the things of him are different from the revelation of the person of him. Of whom we have many things to say, he says. But some are dull of hearing. Somebody shout hallelujah. Jesus is deeper than any miracle. Jesus is deeper than any sign. Jesus is deeper than any wonder. Jesus is bigger. He's deeper than anything you could ever compare him with. And he wills that every man gets to know him a certain way. Somebody shout hallelujah. A certain way. So when he tells them that when, you, when he sat at meat, he broke bread and they knew him. Their eyes were open and they knew him. Men cannot know Jesus, the person, until bread is broken. Right? That's the essence of the demystification of the mystery. To them who know the mystery already, not as seeking to give them something new, no, but as seeking to confirm what is already affirmed in their spirits. As seeking to put them in remembrance of that which is established in them. Paul says, I will put you in remembrance of these things. Even though I know you know them and you are established in the present truth. But he gives remembrance. The demystification of a mystery of Christ is not supposed to be something that is news to the new creation. It is given to you to know the mysteries. But you have to believe that everything they are saying, you knew, but your mind didn't know. And now everything coming without is simply putting in remembrance and stirring in you what is already existent. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, that is why we minister. For as long as we're demystifying the person, we'll never run out of business. Somebody shout hallelujah. But if we, we change the topic and then the altar becomes other persons, other things, praise God. Many years ago, I was called to preach at a certain conference. And then there was a fellow who came before me and then sometimes I love to listen to fellow ministers. I do. The Lord knows it. 
And so I was listening to this guy. And you know what the title was in that conference? The title in the conference was Revival. Are you following me? The guy stood and said, you're going to see revival in your life. I said, you're going to see revival in your life. He says, I have a personal testimony of revival. All eyes glean on him. And then he says, my wedding day. Maybe, let's wait. The guy said, there were about one week, it was about one week to the wedding and I didn't have the cars that I needed. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, You're shouting, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just narrating. <laughs> I'll not mention his name nor the church where I was because no man walking in love can do that. I have to cover the man of God. Now, this fellow said, every person I called to borrow their car gave me their car. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'm like, oh, so you don't have a car? One week toward your wedding, you don't have a car. You don't own a car. And you are putting revival power and its testimony in borrowed cars. And the guy said, it was the biggest wedding in the district. I said, I said, if William Seymour was here, if Charles Parham was here, if Kenneth e. Hagen was here, if Catherine Kuhlman was here, if Rain had Bonky had that fellow, if Charles Grandison Finney of the Second Great Awakening had that fellow, Whitfield, Wesley, if they had that fellow, How can somebody zero the reviving power of the Holy Ghost that shakes nations, that flips continents, and melts elements to borrowed cars of a wedding? The guy said, you're going to see revival in your life. That's where we are. People are spending on that which is not bread. People sit in their cars and sit in taxis and some trains and some, they spend their data and sit in the presence of people. Sometimes I wonder how certain people sit under certain things. No offense. I, that thing I've try to look at the brain of a human being to understand how certain people sit in the presence of certain things. And then they go back home and they said, pastors, the altar is for Jesus. Not our wars with other people. The altar
matter is for Jesus Christ, not politics. People don't invest time to just come hearing you vent your frustrations. No. People come to hear Jesus. God help us. Ministers, God help us. Praise God. Why do we spend on that which is not bread? Now Jesus tells them, I'm the bread of life, not Moses. How much investment have men invested in the law? How many millions of dollars have men invested in building facilities, teaching Moses? How much fasting and prayer have men hemmed in Moses? How many wars have men fought in the law? Because they need to establish the truth in the law. And Jesus is right there. Do you know how many times we, we, we ministers, how many times some, some ministers kill men through the law? Because if the Bible says the letter kills, it means every time you're preaching, you're literally stabbing. You go stabbing men. And then after service, they go back bleeding. No wonder Paul was fought. No wonder every grace minister will be fought. Because we are giving men life. It's a bold statement to tell a man God has imputed righteousness on you through faith. And that you are under no condemnation because you're in Christ. Because the life of the, of the, uh, the, 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 the law of the life giving spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. That you recon yourself dead unto sin but alive unto righteousness. That you've received righteousness even before the manifestation of the works of righteousness. And you receive the works of righteousness as a seal of the righteousness you had while still uncircumcised. That Jesus Christ entered in once and for all. That is the perfect sacrifice. And God will never deal with you as a believer on your terms. Because you have a high priest. Of good things to come. Woo! The Bible calls him a high priest. Of good things to come. I would spend money for that. I would minister. And invest my labors. For that. One artist sang and says. Redeeming love has been my theme. And it shall be until the day I die. Our pulpit will preach love. It will preach the forgiveness of sin. It will tell every man. That you are acceptable. If you believe. What about those who have not yet come to full perfection in the works of the flesh? I have good news for you. Jesus will perfect that which will concerns you. What which concerns you? He will help you step by step every way. He will get that nonsense out of you before you even know it. Just respond to love. Because love, Corinthians 13, 8, never fails. When we give men love, when we give men love, love takes responsibility to fulfill its purpose in them. This is why people, you know, this is the simplest thing between people of the law and people of grace. People of the law look to your ability to be right with God. We grace ministers look to the ability of Christ in you to make you right. The only problem with them is every time we hem into Christ to make men right, they think or assume we are saying 
It's okay for men to sin because we relieve men of all responsibility to work out. But they don't know that God works best when a man lets him. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. God works perfectly when a man lets him. In fact, in one version of the message, he asks a question. Do you people judge us because we've chosen Christ as the way to our full salvation and not our own works of righteousness? Because we are still a work in progress while we are preaching Jesus' love and forgiveness. Therefore, you mean to say that we are wrong? But then when we look at you too, who has been preaching Moses for 30 years, you're probably even worse. Somebody shout hallelujah. You know, we preach, we believe, if you want to see that many people don't believe in the grace of God, look at them when somebody has hurt them or disappointed them. Or broken them. Or abused them. If you want to understand that a man. If you want to see. That a man has not understood. How grace works. Look at how much forgiveness. They are unwilling to give. Yet claim to receive. From the very throne. Look at how they deal with those who hurt them. Look at how they respond to those who annoy them. And sometimes it's not that somebody has even hurt them. No. Sometimes it's as simple as they have been told that somebody said something about them. And sometimes we even discover the truth later. And it's late. We can't reverse certain things that we've done to our fellow believers. If it's too much for you, hold your silence. Keep quiet. If somebody hurts you to the court, let me say, if some of us were to open up our wounds, we would not be preaching the gospel. There's a reason why regardless of what certain people do, we can never put their names here. Because we know the way of love. And we believe that one day God will part venture, cause them to turn and be restored. And when they are restored, we want them to look at us and realize we were mature. We were mature. One time a certain man of God went on radio. And he said very foolish things about me. And I went in prayer and I started to pray. And as I was praying, the Lord told me, write him a check. What? He said, write him a check. Put some calls on his head. See, so that's how we revenge. We love you more. We bless you more. My wife is my witness. We pray for those that hate us. We pray for their children. We pray for their wives. We pray for their success. They are going in and going out. That when they travel, they travel well. When they sleep, they sleep in peace. That their ministries be preserved. That they don't fail. That they, they be happy people. That they stay with bread on their, on their table. That, 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 that nothing bad happens to them. My wife is my witness. We pray for those that hate us. 
And sometimes we even mention them by name. We say so and so say this, but oh God, fill them with the Holy Ghost. Bless them. Multiply them. If they have a need, God, make us the most available vessels to help them in the mighty name of Jesus. When you do that, you're going to be amazed at what God will do in your life. He will fill you. He will anoint you. Oh my goodness. As long as you keep that core as a minister, there's a certain oil that stars and is stirred upon your life. It defines trust and maturity in everybody who meets you. God is best revealed in the mystery of love. Not prayer. Not shikitelema. Not prophetic. Not intercession. Not, not your prayer mountain. Not the leman walking. No, the true definition of the person of Jesus Christ is in... He didn't say God is miracles. He does miracles. He didn't say God is signs. He does signs. He didn't say God is prophecy. No, he gives prophecy. He didn't say God is revelation. God gives revelation. He said God is love. And he that loveth not knoweth not God. I gave this guy. I've done it for like three, four ministers. Another one also spoke things I was going to preach somewhere and then news, a certain minister was, calls me says, you know, there's this pastor in Kampala. He's told me, you know what? Don't step in that guy's meeting. La, 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 la. I said, ah. Then I went to my knees and said, God, give me opportunity to, get, to bless that fellow and make sure he doesn't know I'm the one who blessed him. Oh, God made it. The same guy got to a conference and he was broke. <laughs> so I got to know you know what I did I got a very handsome amount gave it to the fellow another fellow I told him don't even tell him I'm the one who has done it and they did the conference and I went back home and I danced the guy I think he was saying thank God I think in himself he was saying God you are faithful <laughs> who was in the faithfulness <laughs> his son he, who believed in him <laughs> Who participated in the fulfillment of that faithfulness? Grace was part of that story. That's how we win. Tell your neighbor that's how we win. That's how we win. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is the hardest thing to do. That's how you know that you're this. He says, and this, by this shall they know that ye are my what? Disciples. Because you went to Bible school. He says, because you love the brethren. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. He is the bread. And it's in the ministration of his person according to the gospel of his grace. Not the ministry of Moses. Can I go deeper? <laughs> I'm already deep. Let me go deeper. The Lord showed me something that blew me. And I, I know it's going to blow you. In Ruth. Chapter 1 verses 1. 
The Bible says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And if you read out the Bible, you'll know that famine was in Bethlehem. And the Bible says, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So this fellow left Bethlehem and then went into Moab. And his wife, and he had two sons. Why? Because there was no more food. There was no more bread in Bethlehem. Right? So, the Bible says, Elimelech, this fellow, he had a wife called Naomi. And they had what? Two sons. Mahlon and what? Chilion. And the Bible says they get into the country of Moab and then they continued there. What happened? Verse 3, Elimelech dies. And she was left of the two sons. And they took themselves wives of the women of Moab, Orpah and Ruth. And in about 10 years, the Bible says Mahlon and Chilion also, both of them died. Praise God. There's some with a number there, 10. If you read of the Bible, you'll understand what I mean. And the Bible says, and the woman was left of her two sons. Sorry, sorry. And, and the Bible says the, the two sons dies, the two sons die, and then she remains with Oprah and Ruth. You know the story. She tells them, you know what? Go start yourselves another what? Life. Oprah goes her way. And Ruth tells Naomi, for as far as the Lord liveth, your God shall be my God, and your people shall be my people. Now, this is the amazing thing. They leave Bethlehem because there is no bread, and it's a dry land. They come back, I mean, when they go to Moab, right? Elimelech dies, Mahlon dies, Chilion dies. And they all die when there is food in Moab. In what is called bread? Who understands what I'm saying? And then they leave after the death of the husband and the two boys. And, and, and that's so powerful. If you think about the power of the male figure. In the understanding of the things of the spirit. Because the male gives seed. Spermatos is seed. The seed givers died. All the seed givers died. The elements of conception were alive. Naomi was alive. Ruth was alive. Opa was alive. But all the seed givers died. And the scriptures tell us, what does Naomi do? For the preservation of this posterity, seed must be availed. God has to find a way to avail seed. What happens? Naomi returns back to Bethlehem, where food is. And the Bible says, when they go in Bethlehem, verses 22, Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, and they, when they returned out of the country of Moab, the Bible says, and they came to Bethlehem, and the Bible says, when they entered Bethlehem, it was the beginning of the harvest. God is working out something. Why is it that they come back at the beginning of the harvest? Yet they left the same place dry of bread. Is somebody following what I'm saying? Is somebody following what I'm saying? Now the Bible tells us 
Later on, you know the story. Ruth at the stressing floor. Da, 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 da. She lands the heart of who? Boaz. Long and short in Ruth chapter 4, because I have to run because of time. The Bible says, Boaz took Ruth. Verses 13. And Boaz took Ruth. And she was what? His wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare what? A son. And the Bible says, and the women said unto Naomi, you see, the women said unto Naomi, even though Ruth had bore a child, women spoke to Naomi. And I'm going to explain that in a while. This is the mystery. <laughs> the word Bethlehem are two Hebrew words. Beth, the house, Lehem, of bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread, the place of bread. So figuratively, Elimelech and his family, because there was a physical famine, they left a spiritual place of bread and went to Moab. And what happens? All the seed givers die. What does Luke 8, 11 say? The parable is that the seed is the word of God. That means the spirit of revelation was throttled. The spirit that functions in men to reveal Christ continuously in his depth and fullness dies. But what remaineth? Naomi. Naomi means my delight. Ruth means friendship. So that which delighteth in the friendship returns back to the place of bread. Somebody said hallelujah. And when it returns to the place of bread, somehow God works out a miracle and then this friendship, led by that which delighteth in the Lord, gets married to Boaz. And Boaz is translated as strength is within him. And they, oh, you didn't get it. There is a man in Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, there's a man called Boaz. And strength is within him. Because he is the giver of life. And he is the representation of bread. And then Jesus, fast forward, he is of Galilee, a born of Bethlehem. Did you understand that? Did you see it coming? So Boaz is a typification of the person of Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. I have to be born in a place of bread. Revelation is begot in an atmosphere that has revelation. I say the spirit of revelation is stirred when you sit under a woman who knows God. The spirit of revelation is stirred when you sit under an anointing that has revelation. That is why as I'm speaking, there are people here who have like 20 summons already. 
Because that's the power of revelation. When you sit in the presence of revelation, you're, it's stirred in you. That's why Jesus, the revelation, sat where the place of revelation was. Jesus, the bread, sat in the house of bread. Boaz, the house, the, 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 the kinsman redeemer, dwelt in a place of bread and he is the one that gets espoused to to what? To friendship. Ruth. And how are they connected? Through delighting. If you want to build relationship with Jesus, with God, delight yourself in him. As you delight yourself in him, you build a certain relationship. And when you build a certain relationship, the two of you will know each other. And Adam knew his wife. When you know each other, you produce something. And the son produced to friendship with God by the connection of delighting in him is Obed, which is the father of Jesse, which is the father of David, which is the father of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. That means you beget something that begets the will and purpose of God. Something comes out of you that saves the next generation. May God do something through you that in four or five generations of your children, they'll say that is a grandson of Ayah. He is a grandson of and he is the answer to this generation. Tell your neighbor, no God. Spend on that which is bread. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Invest in that which is bread. Now I've understood it. That our delight is in him. Now go back to Isaiah 55 where I began from. Verse 2. He says, wherefore, do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfies not? He says, hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul, Naomi itself, delight itself in fatness. Fatness is the anointing. That means your soul will delight in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing on your life will increase and increase and oh my goodness. Some people think you have started. You have not yet started. Look at me. You have not seen anything yet. Give me a few months. Give me a few years. <laughs> you, you'll even be blessed you know me. Tell it to your neighbor the same. Say the same to your neighbor. Say the same to your neighbor. Say the same to your neighbor. You will be so blessed that you know me. You are now, but no, you will be more blessed that you even know me. Did you tell your neighbor? Do you believe that? Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Delight yourself in the word. So they said unto Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a kinsman. That his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nourisher of thy old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee. Which is better to thee than seven sons has borne him. I can't wait to be 90. Oh my God. I can't wait to be 100. Oh my God. And fully nourished. Hallelujah. Healthy from head to toe. Playing basketball with Pastor Zach. Running marathons with Apostle Emma. Oh my goodness. Tell your neighbor I'm going to grow old strong. <laughs> Hallelujah. Tell him I'm going to grow old strong. He says these words are medicine to them that find them and life. The life to them that find them and medicine to their bones. Tell your neighbor I plan to live a long healthy life. Somebody shout hallelujah. My life is restored. The life of God is in me. No disease. No high blood pressure. No diabetes. No nothing. No cancer. No nothing. You're 100 years and you're healthy. You're strong. You play with your grandchildren. You run with your great-grandchildren. Why? Because these words are medicine to our bones. They are life to us. Every time you sit in the word, something is changing in your DNA. Viruses are living. Bacteria are living. Oh! Tell your neighbor I'm healthy. Not because I feel it. But because I'm it. Shout hallelujah. Get to your feet somebody. Mm. Invest in the word. Listen. Why did I labor? This whole one hour. Read the word. When you're driving to work. Put the word. Sit in the place of bread. And receive the bread. Delight in him. Your friendship will grow. And as your friendship grows. Obed will come. Jesse will come. David. Will come. They will come out of you. I want to speak upon you that many great things are going to come out of you. Many great things are going to come out of you. Listen to the word before you go to sleep. Delight yourself in the word. Read your word and dance alone. Scream alone. Celebrate alone. Laugh alone. Enjoy yourself. As you're producing godless seed. That's why I speak on every voice listening to me. Your children will not be no more. They will be godly. They will not be average children. They will be super normal children. They are, they will be, they will be for signs. They will be for wonders. They will be potents everywhere. Physical or spiritual. Now I want you to raise your voice. 
and speak to the bread of life. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.